We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, but how often do we stop scrolling and just listen? I'm Malika Bilal, and starting May 1st, The Take will be a daily news podcast, bringing you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Al Jazeera Podcast. Tunisia's main opposition leader is behind bars. Rashid Hanouchi is accused of plotting against state security. This comes as President Kais Saeed intensifies his crackdown on opponents after granting himself greater powers two years ago. So what's next for the country where the Arab Spring began and for its opposition movement? I'm Fully Batibo and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help to find major global stories. Well, we asked the Tunisian government for someone to join us for today's program, but it declined. So let me bring in our guests. In Tunis, we have Elicia Volkman, a journalist and photographer with a focus on North Africa and the Sahel region. In London, Kautha Ferjani, an activist and the daughter of jailed Tunisian politician Said Ferjani. And in Paris, Amin Snoussi, a political analyst and independent journalist from Tunisia, a warm welcome to you all. Thank you for joining us. Alicia, let me start with you in Tunis. Uh, there's been, as we've heard and seen, a wave of arrests in Tunisia in recent months. But how significant and concerning is the arrest of Rashid Hanouchi? Some Tunisian media outlets have said uh, the reason for his arrest is because he made comments threatening a civil war recently. This is the probably the, the most high-profile arrest to date. And it's something that Kaisai's followers have been calling for for a long time, or they're anticipating, and certainly his advisors uh, around the time of July 25th, his power grab, have been pushing him to do this, but he's held back. This was actually the 10th time that he's been brought in for questioning. Previously, he'd just been summoned, but this time they actually raided his house. So this is... A, a big step up from where we were even a couple of months ago, that the modus operandi is now just to send police into rage rather than summon people in a more sort of polite and judicial, uh, judicially correct way. Um, what exactly so is Rashid Hanouchi being accused of? He, the, the actual term uh, of the charges is conspiring against national security. Uh, this is under the, the penal code, and it carries very heavy penalties either life, life banishment or under Article 72, that actually carries the death penalty. So these are very serious charges, effectively, of treason against the state. Kalther, in London, let me come to you. Uh, your father, the MP Saeed Ferjani, is one of the leading figures of uh, the Anada party, Rashid Hanouchi's party, and he's also currently behind bars. Can you tell us what, first of all, your father is being accused of? Um, he's being accused of being involved in the Instalingo conspiracy, um, something that the judges themselves who have sent him to prison said that my father was never suspected, never listed as part of those who were part of this conspiracy. And they also initially only um, asked him as a witness um, and... It's only in the end that they decided to keep him, but we already knew that they were going to keep him as Qais, during my father's hearing, said anyone you have at the moment, you detain or you will be considered co-collaborators. So there are no specific charges against your father, just to clarify? 
uh, no specific charges from what we from what I've been told from um, the lawyer. They actually said that they that during his hearing they they thought that he may be involved and that they're looking for evidence. So they've sent him to prison while they find evidence. Okay. I mean, in Paris, let me bring you in. Enada, it seems, has been the main focus, the main target of this crackdown. Why, why do you think this is? Why is uh, Kai Said's government going after uh, the opposition this way? Well, he is choosing Enada because Enada um, is uh, considered as the main opposition group in Tunisia because um, Nahda and the few other political parties were the one that built the National Salvation Front, uh, which was a, a group of, of a lot of political parties that were opposing um, Saeed's coup. And so he's going after Nahda because Nahda is his main um, opposition group, he's his main, uh, is his main adversary. However, going after Nahda is also easy for Kai Saeed because He's been accusing them and accusing others of being the sole responsible of every crisis in Tunisia. Um, Said's tactics are always based on scapegoating. So Nahda is the perfect scapegoat for all of Tunisia's issues for Kai Said because he can he can give to the people um, uh, he can give to the people uh, someone to accuse for their uh, for their uh, for their issues. He can give to the people someone responsible for for their uh, for their deep. Uh, uh, problems, economical problems, social problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Said has always been um, using that against um, against uh, his opponents. Um, mm -hmm. The judges were part of a conspiracy. Nahda is now part of a conspiracy. Uh, the National Salvation Front, uh, MPs, uh, businessmen, journalists, civil society actors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the 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 main problem for Kai Said in the next years will be that he will he, he's going to run out of people to accuse he's going to mm. run out of scapegoats and I, um as we are seeing now yes go ahead finish your thought please as we are seeing now we don't have an opposition anymore the the, the two or three person that are left could be arrested anytime uh the 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 the, the whole uh group of the national salvation front the whole the whole um, s senior responsible of the National Salvation Fronts are all in jail. And okay. they, they, Alicia, they, let me ask, let me bring in Alicia. Th thank you, I mean, for, for your response. And I'll come back to what next for the opposition in a minute. But let me ask uh, Alicia uh, uh, a point that uh, Amin brought up, talking about Inada being used as a scapegoat. And it's true that this movement and its leaders were also arrested under the previous governments and regimes in Tunisia, under Bourguiba, under Ben Ali as well. There was a crackdown against Anada at the time. A number of their leaders, including Rashid Hanouchi, spent years behind bars. Um, but it's not necessarily a movement that's popular among Tunisians, is it? Why is that? Well, Rashid Hanouchi, in terms of the polls, actually polls very badly. He's one of the least popular politicians. There are much more popular politicians. Uh, one is Najib Shabi, who leads the National Salvation Front, and the other, who's actually been a, the closest challenger in popularity to Kai Said, is Abir Musi of the Free Distorian Party. She used to be part of uh, the RDC Ben Ali's party. But the thing is that culturally, Rashi Ganushi and Anafta represent something that there has been a constant narrative against. So, uh, both, you rightly said, Burkiba and Ben Ali you know, created this narrative that you know, the biggest enemy of the state are the Islamists, and this has been repeated and repeated. 
and people have been brought up on this narrative. So it's easy to see him and, and also to sort of paint him as some kind of devil and demon. Mm. And it's really sort of split civil society and also the liberal left who have been very anti-Ganushi. And they pretty much sort of given um, a sort of passive consent to progressive uh, authoritarian steps over the past few years because they are so anti-Ganushi. But there's not much of a call that's saying, okay, I don't like Ganushi, but this is wrong. This, I've only seen about sort of one or two people on social media, the cartoonist Z. Why is that? Said, I, I mean, I the, why, is, well, why do you think there hasn't been more, uh, more perhaps protests from Tunisians to these uh, moves? Are they supported? Are there some people who support these moves by, by the president? And why do you think we're not seeing... I mean, Tunisia was the birthplace of the Arab Spring uprisings, of course. Why do you think we're not seeing demonstrations like we did see back in 2010 and 2011? There's a, a general disenchantment with not just democracy, but politics in general. The, the, the problem at the time, on 25th July 2021, is that Tunisia really suffered under the pandemic. And economically, and also the, the scale of the, the variant D, Delta variant was such that in a country that's very sort of has big family ties, people were so touched by um, loss and grief. You know, and at the same time, they were seeing a parliament that was out of control. You had violence, you had people attacking Babi Amusi. So people had really lost faith. So that's one side. Um, also, because the majority or the largest party in parliament was Enafta, and mm -hmm. the head of parliament was Rashid Ganushi. They were sort of easy targets. They've never had total um, uh, majority politically, but they're seen as, you know, as having had control or have right. controlled Tunisia. So that's that's why they're an easy target to lash out at. Okay, let, let me ask Kauther about this uh, disenchantment with Inada Kauther. As Elisa mentioned, uh, there are some who support President Kais's move to arrest uh, some of the Enada party members. Uh, there are those who say that the post-revolution government led by Enada was a disappointment, that it was incompetent, that it was corrupt. What do you respond to that? Um, well, I would say, um, like Eliza said, um, there was no point where Enada actually had total control of, um, of Tunisia. Um, even when they initially won after the revolution, they decided to be part of a coalition government despite winning uh, by an overwhelming amount. Um, I think, um, again, like Eliza said, due to media um, constantly demonizing Anahda from the moment they joined in, uh, joined in the transition government since the revolution as the causes for all their woes, also not seeing um, a magical happily ever after, after the revolution. That also didn't help, and it was also blamed on another. Um, also, there was, you know, a lot of um, to clean up after mm -hmm. Bin Ali, and that was also made quite difficult. And in fact, another didn't really have many powerful ministerial positions in the brief 10 years or so um, of the brief fleeting democracy Tunisia had. So I understand why um, they would blame another, considering it's always been portrayed to them that another was behind the, I don't know, their lives not becoming magically better after the revolution. Um, and I understand the, ep um, 
the apathy amongst some. But right. I also think that a lot of people right now, there is a loud minority with the Qais supporters. I don't know how much, how many Tunisians are really supporting him. Let me ask Amin about that. How many Tunisians do you think are, uh, are supporting uh, Kai Saeed right now? And, you know, what are your thoughts about Enada? Who or what do you think took Tunisia off of the, the democracy path? Um, I think the lack of democratic culture is what led us away from the democratic path. There is a major confusion uh, between political opponents and enemy. And mm -hmm. I think that's the main difference. I personally oppose Nahda on a lot of, of things, and I've never agreed with their policies. However, um, that doesn't give you the right as a president to strip them from their right to participate in the public debate, from their right to have uh, political figures, to have their freedom of speech and their freedom to organize meetings, et cetera, and et cetera. And that's the major difference that was not, um, that the, that Qaisaid does not believe in, that <clears throat> a lot of political actors before Qaisaid did not believe in. There, was, there were always people that were questioning democracy and using um, tactics that are close to dictatorships. And uh, that's that's the issue. We, we we during the ten years we didn't um, we didn't um, diffuse or we didn't we didn't communicate enough to explain um, the the principles of democracy and the the culture of democracy. When it comes to my side, I think he has a lot of supporters, and I think a lot of Tunisians support him because mm -hmm. they're, 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 we've been talking about the disenchantment of Nahda, but people are still believing in Qaisaid's promises, and Qaisaid promised a lot. Qaisaid right. promised new public transport. Qaisaid promised Which he hasn't delivered cities, on a lot of these promises, though. Of course, and that's, and that's, that's, that's I think, the critical point. The and so why are people where, not, people... again, to the same question I asked Alicia a, a moment ago, the, despite the fact that he hasn't delivered on these promises, why is it that people, Tunisians, are not taking to the streets? Why are they not protesting as they did in the past? Well, it took 20 years to, to protest against Ben Ali. But, mm. um, but I think, I think the, the, the critical point is people are still believing by side because they are uh, believing his scapegoat tactics. He always... Uh, make believe he always convinces the people that he didn't deliver because Nahda, because MPs, because uh, lawyers, because judges, etc., etc. He always finds a reason. So the critical point will be when he won't have any more excuses to not deliver, and he doesn't have at that at that time, and he will fail to convince the people that mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that that he's able to do anything for them. And I think. Um, that's the moment that people will realize and will understand what happened in the last in the last two years. Okay, uh, Alicia, let me come to you and ask you about uh, the international community's reaction, or some would say lack of reaction to the events in Tunisia. Uh, some would say that uh, it hasn't be uh, hasn't been as vocal uh, and united, uh, and they haven't condemned these actions as uh, they should have. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think the, the response from the international community, from the European Union, the Americans to some extent, has been somewhat muted? There's, certainly in Europe, there's a, there's a parallel sort of shift to the right. And the, there's a lack of confidence that there is a clear way back to democracy. And there's a, a certain amount of, sort of apathetic um, sluggishness on their part. So everything, as you say, is very muted. 
Uh, we're seeing much more close alliances between Tunisia and Italy, particularly those sort of bonded over the migrant issue and uh, migration and border control. And more and more, you know, France and other states are seeing Tunisia as basically a buffer zone to manage some of their sort of external problems. Uh, we've also seen that Kai Saied is, is swinging towards uh, Syria. Um, he, there was a, a three-day visit this week by the Syrian foreign ministry. And there's, there's also sort of more dialogue with China. Um, so the, for both the US and EU, their primary objectives are security-based. So for America, it's counter-terrorism and military cooperation. And for the EU, it's about border control and migration control. So we sort of, it's a kind of tyranny of low expectations that they want a minimum level of stability. Um, and certainly for countries like France, they prefer to just deal with one key decision maker. So in some ways, it's easier to keep them in position. All right. Kautha, the, the response from the international community has been weak so far, some would say. I know you've made an appeal to the British government to intervene and seek the release of opposition figures, including your father. What exactly do you want them to do? Well, we've actually um, filed with our lawyer to call for sanctions against Qais, um, two of the former interior ministers, um, the Minister of Justice and Minister of Defence. I think that's how we can start um, and also possibly add more people as um, any collaborators with um, human rights violations currently happening in Tunisia. I think that sends a, a, a clear and loud message um, because talking isn't enough. Qais mm -hmm. clearly doesn't care. Um, we, unfortunately, like Eliza said, we're currently going through a shift both in the UK and other parts of the world where um, other parts of Europe where we are going more right-wing and um, immigration is the main focus um, in our policies. And so then they do kind of see Qais as a possible ally with that. However, under Qais, um, my, migration has increased. Right. So even on that part alone, he's not much of an ally. Right. What, what response did you get, uh, Kautha, from the British government to your request? Um, well, currently at the moment, we haven't had a response um, yet, but it's not been so. Uh, but uh, things have escalated since. Mm -hmm. So um, we do hope that we do get something back um, very soon because we're finally hearing a bit more of a stern word towards um, towards Skye. So maybe I just, we we're hopeful. OK. Uh, I mean, let me ask you about the same thing, the international community. We've heard the U.S. State Department expressing alarm over the arrests of uh, Rashid Khanoushi. Do you expect any significant action from the West if this crackdown intensifies in Tunisia? And, and why do you think that the condemnation from the West hasn't been stronger, hasn't been louder? Because as it has been said by Kaufer and by Elysia, uh, Said is the perfect ally for uh, the far right in Europe. And we, we are seeing how the far right is gaining influence, um, imposing racist agendas everywhere. And uh, Said has made it very clear that on when it comes to immigration, 
he allies with the interests of the European far rights. He wants to do border control for them. So really, that's something the far right is looking at. And the far right has always been vocal about supporting Al-Sayed, even since the coup. They, are, they, they, they took um, position publicly in the, in, the, in the European Parliament and supported the side's actions in Tunisia. And so when the far right gains that much influence in Europe, it obviously leads to um, political figures like I said in, uh, in the Maghreb, in uh, the Middle East. Alicia, let me come to you now and ask you about the future. I mean, Tunisia was where the Arab Spring started in 2011. There was a lot of hope for this country. That this was the first success of the Arab Spring. And today it finds itself in this situation, an economy in tatters. Uh, they're still waiting on this IMF bailout. Whether or not it happens uh, remains to be seen. Uh, what do you think the future holds? And does the government, does President Kais have a clear plan to bring the economy first back on track? And what are his uh, goals ultimately? What does he want? Well, this is the biggest concern is the economy, because science has shown consistently that he's completely inept when it comes to both economy and uh, a sort of more clear-headed foreign policy. What he wants, uh, he has been completely obsessed with this idea of a new constitution and sort of unfolding his plan. Um, but then he gets sidetracked with these sort of, you know, with these crackdowns um, when he hits bumps in the road. The, the real concern is if the economy really does break, and we are seeing signs of this, we're seeing the national bonds dropping, we're seeing um, like the lack of investment in agricultural sector, which was previously quite well invested in other areas, big companies are leaving Tunisia. So unfortunately, a, an economic crash is looking much more likely. Okay. And that could bring chaos, unfortunately. Kauther, I'm going to ask you the same question. What do you uh, see uh, the future of Tunisia looking like? And, and, you know, what's the future for a movement like Enada, a movement like your father's? How does it respond to this crackdown that it's facing? Um, it, honestly, it all depends on the international community. Um, because if it's... If if things carry on as they do, Kais is going to run out of um, boogeymen to um, distract the people with, and I think it will. He'll start targeting the average person that possibly complains about the price of an apple or something, and I think it's like uh, it's going to become more of a police state, like it once was, and possibly worse. Um, with regards to a party like Anahda, I personally am not. Um, from the party. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think at the moment it's about concentrating on getting people out of prison, getting back to some kind of path towards democracy, and mm -hmm. then we could look at the futures of different parties. Okay. I mean, let me ask you then your final thought. What needs to happen to put Tunisia back on the path to democracy and stability? Well, first, we need to do everything we can to get political prisoners out of jail. That's on the short term. On the long term, we need to be very aware um, and concerned about the narrative. Because if if and when Qaisaids fail, um, there, there will be a political space. 
And we need to understand that Qaisaid is not uh, something uncommon. There's a lot of populistic and far-right figures in the political landscape in Tunisia. And he gave them the perfect tool, this new constitution that can make anyone a dictator. So we need, in, in that, when that time comes, to bring back on the table the importance of the parliamentary regime, uh, the importance of separation of powers, etc., etc. Thank you so much. Thank you all for a great discussion. Elisia Volkman, Kauther Ferjani, Amin Snusi. Thank you very much for joining us on Inside Story today. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Umari Stambouli, Abla Kla, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Sentil Marimutu. The program was edited by Manish Matai, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next episode. Thank you.